irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. Hello there, and welcome to All Things Therapy. I'm your host, Lisa Tahir. I am a licensed clinical social worker. I practice as an intuitive psychotherapist, and I just want to thank you for tuning in this week. It is episode number 219. I invite you to follow me on social media. I've been posting as I feel inspired authentically. You can find me at NOLA Therapy, N-O-A, Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. And I invite you to check out my website as well, nolatherapy.com. There are links to this podcast on the various platforms where it's offered. And I have a new book for sale that I'm offering to you. It was just endorsed by His Holiness, the 14th Dalai Lama which is an honor for me to have His Holiness read my work and my positioning around compassion and self-forgiveness is what resonated with him. So that book is available at nolatherapy.com. There's a book tab. You can also find it on Amazon, barnesandnoble.com under my name, Lisa Tahir. It's called The Chiron Effect, Healing Our Core Wounds Through Astrology, Empathy, and Self-Forgiveness. I also have available for you on my website an online class having to do with empowerment, sourcing from within yourself to bring forth your natural gifts and abilities Much like my guest today, Michael Arterberry, is going to be talking to us about my online class. I actually teach psycho-spiritual principles that you can use in your life, like how you can use meditation and prayer. Meditation is when we're receiving. Prayer is when we're asking. How you can use uh, crystal gridding for your house, your office, to create an energetically really high vibration space the use of a pendulum, creating an altar in your house where you can place some objects of significance, be there pictures or things that you find along the way. So all of that is at nolatherapy.com as well as meeting with me. I offer online sessions through phone, Skype, FaceTime, and Zoom. So I think that's all I have to share about myself. Let me introduce my guest. I really love having a guest like today, Michael Arterberry. He is a motivational speaker and author of Be Encouraged, 250 Days of Motivation and Encouragement. He's also the founder and executive director of Youth Voices Center Incorporated, which he founded in 2008 in New York State. And... Michael, he talk, he shares what he went through growing up and how he uses his story and other stories as a catalyst to help others change, how to help us become more successful, and really using our own life experience to reframe it. He's also a social worker and to really 
live into your highest potential. And he's known as the master encourager and a youth development expert. So welcome, Michael. Yes, yes. How you doing? Listening to you introduce yourself. I, I researched you, but I didn't, I'm, I'm really impressed to be able to talk to you today. Thank you. I'm excited too. I feel like we're like like-minded, like-hearted and spirited individuals. So it's such an honor and pleasure. Yes, yes, definitely. Definitely. I'm excited. So where do you want to start us today in the work that you do with adults and youth as a motivational speaker coming from a really tough background? Where might be a good point for us to begin today? So, so check this out, Lisa. This is where I want to start. I want to tell you guys a story that will set the table for our entire interview. Is that okay with you? Yeah, I love it. All right. All right. So it's about a farmer and a donkey. All right. And this donkey is one of his favorite farm animals because once he finishes working on the farm with the donkey, he brings the donkey home and he allows the donkey to play with his kids. So he brings the donkey home. The kids come out, they wash him, they ride him. You know, and once he's finished this, he releases them back into the farm and the kids go in to get ready for dinner and go to bed. And this is like a normal ritual. So one night he brings the donkey home, they come out, they do their thing. But when he releases them out to the farm, during the night, as the donkey's wandering, he falls into an empty water well on the farm. Now, when he falls into the water well, of course, he can't get out. So he starts making donkey noises. The farmer comes out the next morning, he whistles for the donkey, realizes that he's not coming, starts walking around the farm, and he hears him making the noises at the bottom of the well. So he goes over to the well, he sees he's down there, he decides to go get six of his friends, he brings them to the well, and they're trying to figure out how are they going to get this donkey out of the well. So they decide that they're going to pull the donkey out of the rope, and they start to last for the donkey. They throw rope, they miss, they throw the rope, they miss. They finally throw it by its hind legs. He steps into the rope, they shimmy it up his body and they start to pull. They pull the donkey moves, they pull the donkey moves, they pull the donkey moves. Then halfway up the well, they realize that the donkey's too heavy. So they lower him back to the bottom of the well and now the farmer has to make a grim decision. You see, he can't feed him food at the bottom of the well because that wouldn't make any sense. He really can't starve him because he feels like if he starves him, he's more like a pet. He really doesn't want to do that. One of his hot-headed friends was like, hey, just shoot him. He's like, mm. nah, I can't shoot him. That's too violent. So one of his more reasonable friends whispered in his ear and he said, listen, you don't want your kids to fall into the well. So what we're going to have to do is we're going to cover him with dirt. You're going to sacrifice your donkey, but your kids will be safe. And a farmer could deal with that. So Lisa, they all get shovels and they start shoveling dirt. Every time that dirt hit the donkey, he would scream. And every time he would scream, it would cause the farmer some distress. So you got dirt, scream, dirt, scream, dirt, scream. Then the next thing you know, the scream stopped. When the scream stopped, it gave the donkey a moment of silence. But they kept going to work. More dirt, more dirt, more dirt, more dirt. The next thing you know, you see the donkey's right here. They're like, whoa. They start shoveling faster. Next thing you know, you see half the donkey's body. They start shoveling faster. The next thing you know, Lisa, that donkey walks right out of the well that he fell into. Now, check this out. Every time that dirt came across the wall, it would fall on his back. He would shake it off. 
and he would step on it. And he took every scoop of dirt that was meant to kill him to save his life. So let me tell you this. I am that donkey. Mm. And what I want to do is I want to lay out some of that my dirt um, to set off this, this interview. I grew up in a, a home with a raging alcoholic father. Now, when I say raging, I put the raging in front of it because I'm talking about this man raged from the time I was born until the time he died when I was 16. Mm. Now, how that felt as a teenager or just a kid in general growing up, no matter how much fun I was having during my day, something would tap me on the shoulder and would remind me, hey, buddy, don't you get too happy because you got to go home to that raging alcohol dad. Mm. On top of the raging alcoholic father, I grew up in poverty. Now, both my parents worked full time. My dad was a bus driver. My mother was a housekeeper. She cleaned people's homes for a living. But my father's money went to drinking. My mother raised four kids with a housekeeping salary. Mm -hmm. So we didn't have much money. I grew up in poverty. Last but not least, dysfunction. You got an alcoholic father. He's passing down those different traits to my older siblings. So my older siblings are trying to raise me the best way they can. You would wish and hope that in my neighborhood, you can find somebody that would bring some positivity, but their homes were just as dysfunctional. And so it just started to nurture itself. So you had crime, you had drugs, you had addiction. And so I tell you all that because I labeled myself the master encourager because I took my wounds, I took my scars, and that is the foundation and the basis of why I do what I do and why I'm so effective in what I do. I love what you're sharing, Michael, and I appreciate your personal story. When I was researching you and I came across the story where you were sharing about your father, his alcoholism, and the specific piece where you said that no matter what you were doing, I know you were active playing sports from age eight onward through high school, that even in your joy, there was like that little voice that you knew you had to go home and what you were going home to. And I was reminded in my own childhood, I grew up with abuse and trauma and it was like a chill went through me because it reminded me. And I think for anyone listening that experienced trauma and abuse, a parent with an addiction that, you know, even when you're having fun, it's like, it feels like it's short because you know what you have to go home to. So for me, that was a beautiful opportunity to just release that wound because it can permeate our lives. And then we as adults can kind of live out of those wounds, fearing that the other shoe is going to drop instead of creating a beautiful life of success and stability, which is what you've done for yourself and you help others to do. Yes. And, and can I tell you something, Lisa? Yeah. What, what it's be beautiful about you saying that, and I teach this, is that we have a tendency to go through life and we step on landmines and the landmines don't blow us up, but they cause damage. Me and you, it's the abusive family, but the damage is created. And what happens if you're not conscious enough is you'll start to make decisions based on the damage in real time. 
And so what I have people do is I have them self-reflect. You know, when I run my groups with the teenagers, my mission is to have them self-reflect, walk back through the steps of their lives, realize where that landmine was because they can be making decisions that at, at the age of 14 for something that happened to them when they were five or six years old. Yes. You know, and I want to hear you say more about that, because in my book, I talk about those landmines as triggers, as like an energetic attachment that we might not have awareness of until someone pokes it or presses that button. And then we are reacting as if we were five or or whatever age that that event happened that we had a traumatic response to. How do you help? What do you offer to young people that are going through this and even adults? Because it happens to adults as well. Stepping on that landmark. What I, so what I do is, is my program is, is four days, two days at a time. And over the two-day period, what I do to get to the landmine is I run them through an interactive experience where I set up activities that creates a conversation and creates a platform for them to find it in a, play, in a, in a way that is not not like I'm invading their privacy. And so what I do is, is I open up the workshop by unveiling. So the first thing I do is, is I I let them see my cracks so that they know that their leader is not this Mm -hmm. person of perfection. And then once I allow them to see my cracks, I do the different activities so that they're able to, to get there. So for an example, um, I start with an activity I call affirmation and twos. And so I have them line up um, across from each other um, and they have one minute to speak positive about themselves to a partner. Wow. So they, yeah, so they go for a minute, the partner goes for a minute. Then after each person goes for a minute, Lisa, I have them introduce their partner to the group. So imagine you just said all this nice stuff about yourself. Now your partner stands up and introduces you to the group. You know what I'm saying? And they go all the way down the line. I have about 30 participants. And then after they go through all of that, I pull them. Everything I do is in a circle. So after they're in their line, I pull them back out to the circle. And then we start to debrief it. So the first thing I do is I ask how it was. And they talk about how. You know, it felt good talking about the positive things. But what I, I want to get to, but I don't go to it right away, is I say, what? how would it feel if I gave you a minute to list the negative qualities? And when mm. I say that to them, Lisa, yeah, you, you better believe they all say it would be easy. And what I tell them at that point is that's a problem. I explain to them that we are products of our thought lives. Yes. And that if we don't take yeah, if we don't take control of our thought lives, what you think about yourself will become the, your reflection to the world. But then I take it a step further, Lisa. I explain to them not only is it what you think about yourself, it's what other people say to you. And then what I explain is it could be when I'm talking to teenagers, it could be a brother. It, well, this could be adults as well. It could be a brother. It could be a sister. And what I'm telling them is that if you allow your negative thoughts of yourself and the negative thoughts of other people to control you, and I have a tag in my, in my program, which I call be the driver of your car, not the passenger of your car. Okay, yeah. Yep. 
So I explained to them that if they allow what the people say and their negative thoughts to control them, they are the passenger and not the driver. Now, if you allow me, I can give you a story. That yeah, I love that. that. And I, yeah, and what I do is I share that with my group and I tell them about how my daughter was four years old. She came downstairs. My wife brought her to my man cave. I was yeah. watching football. Yeah, yeah, I was in my barricade watching football. So I'm watching the football game. She's four. She runs over. She gets on my lap. She's about to go to bed. I hug. I kiss her. And then when I put her down to go back to her mom, right before my wife picked her up, I said, good night, beautiful. Now, when I said this, Lisa, she looked up at my wife and she, she, she said, did you hear what he called me, mommy? He called me beautiful. And she started doing the happy day. <laughs> so as a father, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm like, yeah, you know, that was a good one. But because of the work I do, I'm looking at Elisa and I'm saying, what if I said goodnight up? What if when she came down, I was like, hey, didn't I tell you about bringing it downstairs? Yeah. Watching a football game. You know what I'm saying? And this becomes a rhetoric that she's around. And then so I'm talking to a group. So I say four years old, five years old, six years old. And I'll take it up to whatever range of the group I'm talking to. And then once I get to the age of the group I'm talking to, I'll ask the group, who do you think's driving a car? And of course, they'll say, her father. And then I'll take it a step further. I'll explain to them, listen, yes, I'm driving a car. I said, you know what? She can go off and get married. And guess what, guys? I'm still driving a car. She can go off, get married, and have a child. Guess what, Lisa? I'm still driving a car. And what I explained to them is the fact that I will drive her car until she takes back her keys. Uh. And yeah, yeah. And so what I'm teaching them, you know, imagine you you sitting in the room. I just talked about, so you know that the participants are now filtering through their minds yes. to find who who took their keys, and then I explained to them that when you realize that someone or something has your keys, you got to take them back. How do they respond to that, Michael? Even when you have them stand up and share positive things about themselves, how is that initially? Do they maybe, do the adolescent participants have a hard time if they haven't come from a family that really nurtures, supports, and affirms them? What happens is when I get, so I'm, I'm, I'm speaking and I'm watching the energy in the room as I speak. When, what happens is when I tell the story of my daughter, and, I, and I, I forgot to say, right before I go to I drive her car, I ask them what she looks like. So she's on a negative end. She's on the opposite end of all that. I said to them, what does she look like? And they'll say dark. She has a poor relationship with boys. Now I say that to you because as I'm speaking to them, what they do is they go grab who has their keys. Mm. And I can see them sink in their chairs because when I'm finished debriefing it, when you say, how do they internalize it? You can see they go to a place where they say, wow, um, um, my uncle, my brother, my mom. Some are bold enough to actually tell me 
But this is just the first activity out the gate. What I want them to do is start to understand that what you think about yourself and how you process those thoughts will dictate how you react and how you live. Because I'm going further into the journey later in the day, but I need them to get on the page to start to self and start seeing how they're drawing and trying to get their value from every other place but within themselves. Yes, and I was curious how you helped teenagers self-reflect. So it sounds like it's from the moment they that you start with them, it's it's by using stories and using your own example, modeling your own self as a way to get them to reflect and then be able to share about that authentically in a safe space. Well, you know what 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 gets them is is I um I have a picture of the house that I grew up in. I I, I got back to it. Oh yeah, right I saw it online. Did. Yeah. It looks like a yeah, condemned yeah, house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, li- listen, Lisa, this is called you knock your socks off. The way you saw the pictures, how it was when I lived in it. That's what, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so imagine you being a high school student. This dude rolls up into your school. He's got you sitting in this circle. But before I get into any of my curriculum, I drop that picture on you. Not only do I show them the picture, Lisa, I actually walk them through. I tell them, check this out. In that house, in the house, first and foremost, I was extremely embarrassed about where I lived, but but I wasn't embarrassed with the people that lived in my neighborhood because their houses weren't any, any better. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? But I got I got busted out of my school district because I was a latchkey kid. So, you know, if you owe the latchkey, like I would rather than coming home to a babysitter, they allowed me to go to school where my dad drove the bus so that um, I can get on his bus and come home. So I didn't go to school in the hood or in the ghettos. I went to school with people people that had a lot of money. And so I was really embarrassed about where I lived. On top of being embarrassed about where I lived, you know, I tell them like, yo, we we didn't have heat in my house in the winter, Lisa. My mom, to heat my apartment, Mm -hmm. used to boil, boil water on top of the stove in pans. And we used to heat our apartment through the vapors from the, the steam. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I tell them about how, how the fact that I, I had two bathrooms, no shower. And, and my mom trained me as a kid to, to fill the tub with cold water and go boil the water on the stove, put it into the, the cold water, stir it like soup. This is how I got ready to school, go to school from kindergarten until I graduated high school. You know, I explained all of this to them. And so before I get into any of my curriculum, you're talking about disarm a teenager? By the time I'm finished showing them that picture, explaining to them everything, I could ask them to tell me their deepest, darkest secret. And I don't even go there. Yeah. Yep, yep, they they would give it up. So, I'm... I know I was curious about Youth Voices Center, how you started it. It's amazing. And like, just if you could tell us more about your center. So so what happened was this is so you, you got this tumultuous life. This this guy, I go off, like you said, to be a social worker while I'm doing my social work. I'm working with the youth. These people would go people meeting my 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 employee 
the people I work for would go online, look at a curriculum, think it looks attractive online, buy it, give it to me, and then when it wasn't successful, I would get slapped on the wrist. You know what I'm saying? We paid all this money for the curriculum, the kids don't like it, and I would look at them like they were crazy. So I said, you know what, I'm going to fix this. What I finally did is I said, you know what, I'm going to create my own. So Lisa, what I did is I was volunteering to go to, I, I went into this maximum security prison and um, I was volunteering doing this program called AVP, Alternatives to Violence Project. And it was pretty intense. And I watched how this curriculum would work these men who were convicted felons. And I'm like, all right, I did it for about two years. It's, it's stacks and stacks of activities. What I did is I sat at my kitchen table I went through their curriculum. Mm. I made I made up my own activities attached to the you know my upbringing, and I put together my program, which I call Power of Peace. Now, once I created it, I created it. Now I went to the job where I was at, and I was like, "Listen, I have this youth development program. You got to pay me. I'm going to do it for you. You got to pay me, and let's launch it." So the lady I worked for was willing to go for it. And you know she 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 let me pilot it, and then it it it, it blew up, Lisa. The, the schools were loving it. I got some government money. They were it was right around gang when gangs were starting to get big. Yeah. I my program is targeted for that. But I'm telling you this because then my boss, um, she was she was she was kind of stupid to do this. What she <laughs> did is she brought me into a meeting and showed me the funding streams, Lisa. She was showing me how much money was coming in because of my program. Wow. Now she was giving me a yeah, she was giving me a salary though. So when I saw how much money my program was bringing in, I'm like, hold up. The math doesn't work out. Yes. So then, yeah, you know, so then what happens is she takes me to a lunch to smooth a philanthropist. So imagine I'm going to the lunch, it's me. Um, the guy that does our grants, my boss, the executive director, the philanthropist, and her lawyer. And so we're sitting at a table at a restaurant. My my the grant guy goes, my boss goes, and then I have cheat notes on, underneath the table of the accolades of the program, Lisa. So I'm I'm very much into my faith. And so yeah. as I got the, I got the paper underneath the table, Lisa, you're not gonna believe this. I crumble it up. And you know what I say at the table, Lisa? Huh. You ain't gonna believe what I said. I said, your money is good with me because the person that I'm accountable to is God. Lisa, wow. everybody's, Lisa, everybody's face at the table turns red. I'm looking at the kitchen. I'm like, I'm about to get fired. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I step out on my face. The lawyer starts cracking up, Lisa. He starts laughing. So I'm like, what the heck's going on? So once everything calmed down, and the lawyer composed himself. He leans over and he says, the lady that, the philanthropist, her name was Pat. He said, Mike, I just want you to know something. Pat is a devoted Christian. And so what I dropped at the table, Lisa, was freaking money. So what yeah. happened after that? You got to listen, check this out. Can I keep going? Yeah. Uh, okay. So, so, so check it out, Lisa. So after the lunch, not only did I guarantee the money to come to the program, she she tapped on another hundred thousand. So oh my now God. this woman was given. Yeah, she's given two hundred thousand to this agency because she thinks 
that I run this program well. But part of the breakfast, I mean, the, the lunch, she says, from this point forward, I want to meet with you once a month just to fellowship. No That's business. Amazing. She wants to talk. Yeah. yeah. So we started So we started meeting, meeting for breakfast, Lisa. And by the third breakfast, I said, you know, I'm going to ask this lady for all the money. I don't want to do it for the agency. Yeah. And so I call up and I said, can you give me all the money? And, and she didn't understand. She's like, I'll give you half. I'll take half. You can take half because she thought I was doing a program. So she didn't want to shun the agency. She's right. like, I'll let the agency keep half. Don't you know, by the time I met her the next time, she researched, found out it was my program. And before I can sit my butt in the chair, she says, I'll give it all to you. Michael, that's amazing. I'm so glad I asked you that question. Yeah. Yeah, that's powerful. I, I, yeah, I left. I left that breakfast, and and she said, "You do whatever you need to do to um become a nonprofit." She said, "Get the best lawyers." She says, "Once you you get all your paperwork in, I'll pay for that." And listen, for eight years, she wired me two hundred grand a year. Freaking yeah, yeah. But she died. She died oh. uh, four years ago. Yeah. And so I've been she's still guiding like you. Most... She's in spirit. Yeah, she's there in spirit. And she she put me on my feet when she passed oh. away. My program, my program was so established that, you know, I've been able to keep going. Michael, we're going to take a quick break to go to my sponsors and I'll be okay. right back with you. Sounds good. Those of you listening, what interferes with your happiness? Is something preventing you from achieving your goals? If so, BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You connect in a safe and private online environment, either by phone or by video through the BetterHelp platform. You can start communicating and you can email your counselor through the BetterHelp platform and schedule weekly video or phone sessions. Their licensed therapists work with all sorts of issues ranging from depression, stress, and anxiety to anger management, family conflicts, and grief. Everything is confidential and it's a HIPAA compliant site. It's convenient, professional, and they offer financial aid for those who qualify. I have been a therapist on BetterHelp when I was developing my private practice years ago. So it is more affordable than traditional practitioners like myself if you feel like right now you're having some financial issues. They offer you, as my listener, 10% off your first month. Simply go to betterhelp.com forward slash A-T-T. BetterHelp.com forward slash ATT for all things therapy. If you enjoy audiobooks as much as I do, and I'm proud to share with you that before interviewing Michael Arterberry, I finished recording the audiobook of my new book, The Chiron Effect, available right now. And it was an amazing experience to be able to speak into existence the words from my book. So I'm super stoked that Audible is one of my sponsors. And as my listener, they offer you a free 30-day trial to check them out. They give you a free audiobook. You can either continue to pay the monthly subscription and get one audiobook a month or cancel it. 
after you take the book that you choose. Simply go to audibletrial.com forward slash all things therapy for your free audiobook download. And that will include mine when it releases in November. It's available for pre-sale in its book form, but will be on Audible slash all things therapy. I am with Michael Arterberry. He is the founder and executive director of Youth Voices Center Incorporated, a motivational speaker and author. So, Michael, did you write your book before or after all this happened with your patron who funded you to start your own youth center? You know, I wrote it after. And and my my, uh, motivation of writing it is, uh, you know, I have I spend my spiritual time every morning. And after my time, my spiritual time, what I was doing is I would write a piece and I would put it on my Facebook page, um, almost like a daily devotional for my followers. Um, And so I was doing this for like a few years and a woman dying of cancer left me a message saying, I wish that I could get your material in one place. And when she said that, I pulled all of... uh, 250 of them, which is why my book is 250 days. Um, I put it into a book. I dedicated mm-hmm. the book to her and I, and I, I published it for her, for her. That's but then of course, yeah, yeah. For the rest of the world to, to be motivated as well. You know, we have some commonalities. I also worked at a maximum security prison here in Louisiana, Angola prison, and it's a okay. maximum security, 20 years to life. Dead Man Walking was filmed here with Sister Helen Prejean. And it was such an intense experience for me also to work with the inmates. And it was something I always wanted to do. And when Hurricane Katrina happened and I lost my my private practice, I spent a year working at Angola. And I feel like I feel like it really put me in touch with just a different part of the world. And what I learned is that a hundred percent of these inmates had severe trauma, abuse, and family violence that they weren't given the opportunities for whatever reason, like your program offers kids to be able to learn to be insightful and self-reflect and have a place to go to to talk about their feelings. What what for you did you come away with when you worked at the maximum facility prison? What 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 I what I found was that um you know, you can make one mistake and it can ruin it. And I teach it in my course with teenagers. I call it quick decisions and I run them through scenarios and mm. I actually use some, some of the scenarios of the inmates that I've met in prison. What I met were stand up good guys that made one mistake, Lisa. Mm-hmm. They, they, weren't, they weren't hardened criminals. They weren't running, selling drugs, killing people. They got put into a position. It made a quick decision, and it bad. So you know, uh, the program that I did, I'm there for uh, 20 hours. So I remember leaving on Sunday. I mean, I would leave at night and go back, but I remember driving to the facility and sobbing mm. on my way there for my last day because you know I grew up right outside of Manhattan, and I was a bouncer while I was in college, and and I wasn't a criminal, but I mean, I was a college kid into the club scene. And so me and a lot of these inmates were, were running in the same circles. Wow. And so yeah. I'm sitting, yeah, yeah. I'm sitting in a circle with guys that I probably had a beer or a drink with at a bar. 
You know what I'm saying? And, yeah. and I felt like I was leaving my friend. I left the final day I was there. You know, Michael, I'm thinking too, because I'm looking at the time and I could keep talking to you, but something you teach upon that I was curious for you to share with, with us is called, how do you want to be remembered? And I was curious right. about that, what that entails. You know, um, how do we want to be remembered is, is, I feel being spiritual and I can tell by some of your material, you, you are the same as far as spirituality. Yes. And, and so for me, what it is, is I take a lot of stock in how you feel once I leave your presence. You see what I'm saying? Now, I don't yeah. work it up and, and come to you being phony, but I put a lot into who, I'm, who I am as a person, what I see myself on, on, on an intellectual level, so that once you and I meet, and we have an interaction, I, without being phony, want to leave you feeling a specific, or it doesn't even have to be specific, but I want to leave you with a certain that, in my eyes, I want to leave you and have you say to yourself, like, whoa. Like, yeah. what, what was that? You see what I'm saying? In a secular world, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, in a secular world, people can call it whatever they want. In the spiritual world, believe it or not, I, you know, not that I'm trying to be anybody's God. In the spiritual sense, I want to leave you with you to with you saying to yourself that that felt like I was in the presence of God. Yes, because we are emanations of God in our own yes, unique way. Yes, yes. yes. So that's what so I mean. So you're talking about leaving a legacy. I mean, I, I talk in my yeah. work and book as well that we leave legacies when we leave a conversation, when we leave an exchange. It's not just when we die. So I hear that's what you're yeah. teaching and talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. Listen, girl, we cut from the same cloth. I know. It's so good. What yeah. else do you, we yeah, have like five more minutes, Michael. What else do you want our listeners to know and how can they reach out to you um, just kind of to turn it over? All right, real quick. Um, if they want the nonprofit, if they got schools or teenagers that they're interested for me to get to, go to youthvoicescenter.org. Um, if you go there, check out, there's a, a section called Youth in Action. Take a look. It's a, a nice video that shows the program in action. If they want to get me for public speaking, they have to go to michaelarterberry.com. That's where you can line me up to come and speak for a venue for you. They can come in and follow me on my social medias. We'll put them, oh, no, this is not a podcast. So um, Michael Arterberry, M-I-C-H-A-E-L-A-R-T-E-R-B-E-R-R-Y. Um, LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, Instagram, they can go on there. They can follow me. Um, if they go to shakethedirtexperience.com, shakethedirtexperience.com. Right now, they can get a free copy of my book. That's awesome. And all these site, all the websites you gave and such are going to be in my show notes for people to access easily. And my last question for you, Michael, is so when you're concluding your sessions with the youth, how do you kind of tie this all together? What do you, you, you spoke about how you start. How do you end with them? 
to leave them with, I, I, with that impression, that legacy. So, so I read, this is on the third page of my book. Um, and, and I'm going to take care of you. So we'll talk later, but, but this is on the third page of my book. And this is what I wrote, Lisa. Okay. Short term thinkers, ready? Yeah. Short term, short term thinkers plant gardens. Long term thinkers plant trees. Mm. Eternity minded thinkers plant themselves in the souls of others. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So that's I say that to, Yeah. And I say that to a group of young people that have gone through an experience together that's going to be released out into a, a major population of the school. So I want them to take what they've learned and pay it forward. That's beautiful and powerful. Thank you. You're welcome. So what is next yeah. for you, Michael, like on your horizon, personally and professionally? I, I want to get on more stages. I do a lot of okay. my work um, behind the, the curtain. Um, I, I feel like the, you know, the, 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 the circuit is calling me, you know what I'm saying? I want to, I want to get out there and, and speak to more audiences rather than doing my stuff um, in smaller groups. So, you know, that's, that's my prayer is that I'm able to, to speak to larger groups. I, I'll tell you since COVID though, um, I've been on over 75 podcasts. That's amazing. And so, I, yeah, yeah. I've been able, I went to a branding conference right before COVID and it talked about global awareness. And just like I was able to find you, I've been able to find uh, podcasts on different platforms. So I've been able to speak in the UK, Singapore, um, Australia, all over the all over the globe. Well, I'm so glad that we found each other for you to be on my yes. podcast. Yes, 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 definitely. This was a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. it. I want to thank you, Michael, for your time and your energy and your work. Thank, thank you. Thank You're welcome. Have a great rest of your evening. Thank you. Thank you very much, Lisa. You're welcome. Bye. Bye-bye. That concludes my show today with Michael Arterberry, michaelarterberry.com, youthvoicescenter.org. I want to wish you all a really great weekend. Don't forget or please remember is a way to state that in the affirmative. Go to iTunes, pull up All Things Therapy, give me a written review and star rating, and follow me on social media at NOLA Therapy, the abbreviation for New Orleans, Los Angeles Therapy. All my love. Bye. You're listening to All Things Therapy with Lisa Tahir, only on LA Talk Radio.